so it is my privilege to be up here with you this morning. Uh, my name is AJ McGraw, and uh, when I say that, um, that my name is AJ McGraw, that is, that is technically true. Uh, it's definitely not a lie. Um, my name is AJ McGraw. They're, they're just, there's a version of my life where that's not the case, though. Uh, there's a version of my life where, where that, that wouldn't be true. Um, my wife, when I was telling her how I was going to set up the sermon, she was like, people are going to think you're in witness protection. You need to just tell, to get through it and tell people. So I'm not in witness protection, not that I would tell you if I was. But um, <laughs> my last name would have been Paget, actually. But I grew up a McGraw. I was the youngest of four boys. It was the six of us, four brothers and my parents. Uh, and to be a McGraw, at least from my perspective, was, I mean, that was a thing you were proud of. We had, we, we had culture in our family. We had identity in my family. I looked up to each one of my brothers, each one I thought was cooler than the other. I wanted to be like all of them. Uh, my parents were accomplished. They made a great home for us. They were well-respected in the community. And although we weren't necessarily ever wealthy, I, we, we never felt any lack. It was, it was the crew of us, man. There, there, was, there was culture there. There was some significance to being a McGraw that just, just came with the name. And so when I was in my mid-20s and I find out this whole other story about my life and how that's actually not our biological last name, I mean, that could have caused some serious issues for me. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, that could have really messed me up. That could have really made me feel some kind of way. And so I had to know the story. I, I, had, to, I had to figure out, like, what has happened and how did we get here? And I owe a lot... Um, to the fact that, and I'll take you through the story here in a minute, but I owe a lot to the fact that I never had an identity crisis. I never had kind of a moment in this story that I'll tell you where I felt like my feet were on, was on rocky ground and like my world was spinning. I, I really never had that experience. And I owe, I owe that entirely to my parents, to my mom and my dad. And the culture that they built, the foundation that they built, the atmosphere that they established in our house. Um, in other words, I owe a lot of it to the house that my father built, which is why this week the title of my sermon is also the house my father built. Be part two. Be part two. <laughs> last week we talked about David. If you remember, if you were here last week or you were watching us online, we talked about David and um, the Davidic covenant. David coming to God to honor him for all the good that God has done for him, all the battles that he won, uh, the kingdom that he's given him. David wanting to honor and bless God. And God, what? He flipped it. He flipped it. And he actually instead said, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to bless you. And it, was, and it was Solomon, David's son, born of his greatest moral failing, born out of, of what we all remember David for, Goliath and Bathsheba, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Solomon born out of Bathsheba, there's the one who actually fulfills the covenant to build God a temple and they create a dwelling place. Actually in 2 Chronicles 7, when, when Solomon consecrates the temple, it's actually, it's, it's our verse for 715. You, our Wednesday night midweek service is 7.15. Y'all thought it was because it started at 7.15. It's not because it started at 7.15. It's because of Second Chronicles 7.15. When Solomon prays a prayer of dedication, of consecration over the temple, God replies, not, not, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers that are made in this place. Solomon finished the temple that became a dwelling place for so many to enter into the presence of God and have their requests answered before him. And so if last week... 
the story was ultimately about, like, look at this glorious and amazing thing that God has done for us. That's, I hope, part of what you took. Look at what God has done for you and for us. This week, we're going to look all the way before David, all the way back. It's like the prequel. Tellus was telling me between services, like, today is the prequel to last week. So it's the prequel uh, of Joshua. If David was, was look at what God has done, Joshua is going to ask the question, what do we do with what God's given us? If David is saying, how did we get here? Joshua is saying, look where we are. Look, look what's before us. And so today we're going to look at the story of Joshua, particularly a few words he speaks to the nation of Israel. I want to study this with you guys today. So if you want to turn to Joshua 24, we can do that. We're going to jump into it in a minute. Um, If you don't know who Joshua is, let me give you a quick context. You, You probably know Moses because you may have seen the prince of Egypt or heard the Exodus story, let my people go, the baby in the basket down the river, right? Moses was an Israelite who grew up in the house of Pharaoh, and he led uh, the uh, Hebrew people, God's people, out of Egypt, and he was leading them to the promised land, but he never, he never made it to the promised land. Uh, Moses dies, and Joshua is the leader who arises and takes over. He's a military leader. He leads them through the Jordan and ultimately into the promised land. And when they're in the promised land that God has set aside for his people, uh, like the second half of the book of Joshua is, um, it's like reading a map with no pictures. It's just Joshua like telling boundary lines. So if you want to study Joshua, do it. And it's okay if you want to read through those chapters pretty quickly. If you're not an Israelite, it's probably not that important to you, but it is interesting, I guess, if you like maps. But he, he, uh, he divides up the land for the people, and then he stands before them, Joshua does, and he renews the covenant with God. And he speaks on behalf of God. And for most of chapter 24, what Joshua is saying is words from God, words of remembrance. Remembrance of what God has done for his people. He says, uh, or he reminds them of Abraham, Abram. The one that God chose out of the line of humanity to be the father of his people. Abram, even though Abram's father served other gods, I chose, I chose Abram to be the father of my nation. He reminds them of how Jacob was the one who led them into Egypt. If you remember Joseph and the multicolor, the technicolor dream coat, right? That story. That's Joseph. He leads the people into Egypt. Uh, Jacob is his father. Moses, we just talked about, leads them out. God's reminding them of their story. Moses, he led you. I led you through the Red Sea. I led you through the wilderness. When Joshua takes over, I lead you through the Jordan because you weren't sure if you could trust Joshua. You knew you could trust Moses. He took you through the Red Sea. Let me show you. You can trust Joshua. He'll take you through the Jordan. He gives, leads them on very, uh, a ton of military victories. You might remember Jericho, the walled city. Joshua comes up with this crazy battle plan from the Lord. We're not going to fight. We're going to sing. Right? Come on, somebody's ready to worship again. <laughs> Tiffany, where are you at? We need to. Um, right? So, there's, so, there's, so, so God is reminding his people through Joshua of all that he's done through history. I led you through the wilderness, gave you victories. And, and, and where you're dwelling now is a city that you have conquered. It's not one that you've even built. But this is the land I've set aside for, for you. And then he finishes with these words. And I hope you'll read them with me in Joshua 24. It's verses 13 through 15. God has reminded them of how far he's brought them. And where they are now. And then he says this. He says, I gave you land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. 
You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let me just pray for our time together real quick. Father God, would you join us this morning? Holy Spirit, come and speak to us through me today, Father. We want to hear a word from heaven. So come, Lord Jesus, and have your way among us. Amen. Um, the gifts of God are undeserved, yet they're freely given. They're undeserved, and yet they are freely given. This is the promised land. I mean, the promised land that God had set aside for his people, and now he's led them into, into it. He brought them out of Egypt, 400 years of slavery, which, which for us, when we put ourselves in, in, in their shoes here, 400 years of slavery, this is your past, enslaved to sin. Bad thought, uh, bad, uh, unhealthy thoughts, bad habits. It's, it's what you were trapped under, the things you haven't been able to wrestle free of yet. Then God leads them through the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. And for us, this is what? This is, this is our wandering. This is our, our years of a dry place of where we're wondering where God is. Maybe we feel like we're on an aimless journey. We're not sure where we're going or why, and we're not even sure if God is with us in it or not, but we're just, but we're just going. God leads them out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. And I wonder for us, like, I mean, I know I have felt like this. I know that as I look back over my story, I have felt like, I have been trapped in some sin patterns I, I really wish that I wasn't. And I can look back on my life and I can see the wilderness years where I was wandering from God. And I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing with my life. But I was just doing what was set before me. And yet, God leads his people into a land that they didn't cultivate. Into cities that they didn't build. Into gardens that they didn't, that they didn't plant. The gifts of God are freely given, and yet we could never earn them. We could never build them for ourselves. The gifts of God to you is a garden you didn't plant, but you get to eat the fruit of it. The gift of God to you is a, is a house that you didn't build, yet you get to live in it. I mean, my wife and I just moved into a new house a couple weeks ago, and uh, when we looked at the house originally in February, which... Aside from Black History Month, February, we can, I think, and if you were born in February, I'm very sorry for what I'm about to say, but February is kind of a terrible month. It's cold, it's dry, it's not Christmas, my birthday's in January, so it's not January, and it's not spring. So what are we doing with February? And why are we looking at houses in February? Because everything is dead, there's snow on the ground, everything looks terrible. It's like literally one of the worst times you could look at a house, because you look at it, you're like, eh, I don't know, it's kind of kind of dingy. But there's another story for how we ended up, we, we got this house, but we moved in in April. Now, April is a great month. 
April's a beautiful month. There's sunshine. It rains. Things turn green. Flowers bloom. And when we, I kid you not, when we moved into our house in April, the weekend we moved in, the previous owners had redone all the landscaping and they had planted these amazing tulips all down the side of the house, all across the front of the house. And they were blooming like the day we moved in. Like I had the nicest house on the block for like two weeks. And I was like took, taking credit for it. Like, yeah, come see my house. Look how gorgeous it is. You see all these tulips. I didn't plant a single thing. I don't know the first thing about tulips, but it was a garden I didn't plant. And yet I took all the credit yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. We thank God for his many blessings. This is the gift of God to us. A garden you don't plant, yet you get to enjoy the fruit. A house you don't build, yet you get to, yet you get to live in it. This is God's, God's plan and destiny and purpose and purpose for you. It's to receive something that you did not work for. And though God is leading you, he's not just leading you to lead you. He's leading you somewhere. He has a destination in mind for you. He has a purpose in mind for you. And it's a gift that you don't deserve and yet, and yet you are freely given. I mean, think about it just in the natural just in, the, just in the natural. Like when I think about Grace Covenant, the building that I am in now, the stage that I'm standing on now, and all of you that I get to share the word of the Lord with, this, this is a house that I did not build. I mean, I honor Pastor Brett and Pastor Jim, Pastor Du, Pastor Donnell, and so many others who have gone before me, our elders who labored and prayed and sweat and, and persevered through thick and through thin to establish something that then they, they want to give off to the second generation. You talk about a house you didn't build, and yet you get to live in it. Many of you I know have joined us in the last year, and you don't know about the Humpmar years. You don't know about the water park years. You don't know about all the, the after third service picnics we used to have on the concrete over there. You're like, you just don't know about that, and there's nothing wrong with it. But you're, you're eating the fruit of something you didn't plant, and that's our gift. That's our blessing. This is not, you know, it's not you need to do anything for it. That's just, this is the abundance of God's house. That you, get, that you get to live in. Take it a step further. You get salvation that you don't earn. The Bible is clear about that. Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not a result of your doing. It is a free gift from God. It is not a result of works. He says it twice. Not a result of works. Why? So that no man can boast. You get blessing that you did not merit. My God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You get blessing that you didn't, that you didn't merit. You get mercy that you don't deserve, but God who is, who is rich in mercy because of his love, the great love with which he has loved us, God shows us mercy. We get eternity secured in him. Jesus says, whoever believes in me and in the one who sent me shall have eternal life. The gifts of God are undeserved, and yet they're freely given. They're lavished. They're lavished Upon us. And so Joshua, who has led the people to the promised land, is recapping all that God has done for them. And what he says next is the obvious next step. It's the obvious thing that we do then. Verse 14 Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in fullness. Put away the gods that your fathers served. Joshua says, Put away the gods that your fathers served. I mean, this is, this is us, right? Like, we are the Israelites, are we not? 
Are we not? If we look back on our life at how God's hand has been with us and on us and our family and family members and all of this, it's like God has, he's brought us out of Egypt. He's led us through the wilderness. He's brought us into the promised land, given us a victory over our enemies. He's, he's giving us blessing and made this all available to us. And yet we still need to be reminded, quit trusting in the things of this world. Quit relying on your past to define you. Quit submitting yourself to spiritual slavery. Quit running back to the things that keep you in bondage and come with me. Trust, trust in me. Joshua is saying, put away the gods of your father. Put away the things that mark your past. Put away that which used to define you and walk in the newness of life. Walk in the new name and the new identity that I have given you. It's obvious to Joshua. It's obvious, it's obvious to us, and yet it's so hard to do. And I want to share uh, my, a personal story to illustrate this point, um, it's actually my parents' story. It's more specifically, it's my dad's story. Um, ma- many of you know my parents, actually, Jim and Linda McGraw. They served here for many years. My dad was a small group pastor a couple years before I was here. Um, they taught love and respect for many years. And I know many of you know them. They uh, retired to New Bern, North Carolina, five or six years ago, built a house. They're doing great, by the way. They love retirement. They're playing lots of golf. They have a great friends and a great church down there, and they say hi to you as well. So I'll tell them you said hi um, if you know them. Um, my father's father, Al Paget, uh, is, a, is a great man, and I hold him in really high regard. Uh, he grew up in North Carolina. He uh, went to a Baptist church as a child. He grew up in the, in the Baptist church. Uh, he gave his life to Christ at a young age. But when he was 18 years old, he graduated high school, and then he went off to fight in the South Pacific in World War II and saw and experienced a lot of things, as you would imagine. Many men who fought in World War II did. And when he came back, he just had a lot of questions. Now, he looked at what was in the world and all that he saw and experienced, and he was wrestling to reconcile that with what he was taught in the church. And unfortunately, the church that he was a part of, didn't, didn't really give him good answers to those questions. And so that left him in kind of the wilderness of his faith. Certainly wasn't on steady ground, certainly wasn't, you know, full of faith and reconciled and righteous or anything like that. He was, he was in the wilderness. He was trying to figure these things out, had a lot of questions that didn't get answered. When my dad was eight years old, his parents got divorced. And like most divorces, they're not particularly amicable. They usually don't produce much good fruit at all. And they usually lead to a lot of heartbreak and difficulty. Now, God can redeem that. If that's your story, I don't want anyone in here today to hear condemnation from me. If that's your story, God redeems and reconciles all things unto himself. But let me, let me tell this story. My father was separated from his father. He had no relationship with him. He had no communication with him. Um, it's my understanding that they told his dad, the kids don't want to see you. And they told the kids, your dad doesn't want to see you. Like, it's not good. It wasn't good. And that's a lot for an eight-year-old to deal with. It's a lot to process. It's a lot to go through losing, losing your father. Um, so my dad stayed with his mom. And two years later, his mom, Betty, uh, remarried a man named Clay McGraw. A couple years after they were married, Clay McGraw legally adopted my dad and his two younger brothers, and he gave them 
the McGraw name, the name that I have today. Clay McGraw's father was a Baptist preacher as well, and so Clay McGraw gave my dad his last name and his first, his first Bible ever. So I get the name McGraw from Clay, and I think it might be where I get being a preacher from too. I know it doesn't exactly run in the family like that, but who knows how these things work, right? So <laughs> it's not exactly genetic. So Clay McGraw comes in the picture. My dad's around 10 or 12 now. Ten years later, in the 70s, my dad's in college. My dad, um, while he's in college, he finds God through a fraternity brother's mother. It's an amazing testimony for another time. He has a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit and gets saved and becomes a follower of Jesus. And Clay McGraw passes away from lung cancer. So when you're eight, your father gets removed from the picture. You're t- cut off completely. You don't have a dad. Your stepdad comes in. He adopts you, gives you your name. And 10 years later, he dies and is pulled out of the picture. You can see the trauma and the hurt and the wounds just beginning to pile up on my dad, right? So 10 years after that, in the mid-80s, my dad is about my age now. He's got three kids of his own. I, I have three kids. And he's coming into the fullness of what being a dad is. And you can imagine just the swirling thoughts of, like, how can I be a father? I never had a father. How can I be to them what was never some, done to me? And he's wrestling with these, with these issues and these challenges. He's got, he's got a biological father he doesn't know, a stepfather who's passed away, three boys of his own. And if you've ever had, I mean, I have three boys, so it feels like insanely difficult. <laughs> My mom had four, so she's much stronger than me, uh, which is fair to say. But it's a lot. It's a lot to go through and to navigate and to deal with, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of weight. And so my dad begins having these questions about his biological father. And his mom wouldn't help him. She's like, you can look for him, but I'm not helping you. Her father, so my dad's grandfather, was like, why would you do this to your mother? You're breaking her heart. You don't want anything to do with this guy. Just leave it alone and just drop it. And my dad, who was reconciled with the Lord at that time, he told me when he was retelling me the story, he was like, I just felt a root of bitterness there. I could just tell something wasn't right. And let me just pause that for a minute. (laughs) We need to have our own relationship with the Lord. I mean, that's a spirit of discernment that my dad has, right? To hear something from parents and grandparents, people that you might trust and respect, people who you might be under their authority. And if you're not walking with the Lord and in tune with the word of God, you might miss moments like that and listen to some really bad advice. But my dad, it stirred in his spirit. There's something not right there. There's something that doesn't reflect the heart of God in that. And so he pursued his father anyway. And just remember, a father who wasn't pursuing him. He pursued his father. And it was actually my mom. It was actually my mom who looked up Al Paget in the phone book. So if you're under 30, a phone book is a, <laughs> is a book <laughs> with phone numbers and addresses in it. And they would just put them on your doorstep. And yeah. Um, so she looks up. Al Paget, right? My dad's mom is like, don't do it. My dad's like, I feel like, feel like we should. So my mom looks him up, finds him. Now it's been 25 years since my dad has spoken to or seen his father. A quarter of a century. 25 years. And my mom looks him up in the phone book and finds out that he has been living in the same city three miles away his entire life. So she writes him a note and he responds 
And you can imagine my dad, a father of three young children, doesn't have his biological father, stepfather's passed away, he's got this name that's not his, he's trying to be a good Christian man, but now his biological father is coming back in the picture, and you can just see and feel, like I'm having anxiety just telling you this right now, for how much it is, right? It's a lot. But he knew, he was like, and then you find out he's down the street. I mean, he's three miles away your whole life. Like, you can imagine all that comes crashing down. But he knew. He said, I just knew it was the right thing to do. So I got my brothers. We went. We met him. We began developing a relationship. I felt like I had my dad back. And then I kid you not, a year and a half later, my grandfather retires and moves to Florida. And the whole loss wound is just ripped back open for my dad. You lose your father once. Now you lose him twice. You think, I'm going to have a grandfather to my children back in the picture. And then... And then he's gone again. At this point in the story, I was stopped my dad because I was like, <laughs> how did you, how did you get through this? How did you deal with this? Because I never felt the effects of this. I never felt the pain of it. I didn't even know about this till I was in my mid-20s. And yet you've, you've walked through this. And he was telling me about, you know, just your standard issue abandonment challenges, right? Why did my dad leave? Was I not good enough? Did I, did I do something to him? What, what should I have done? And I'm asking him, Dad, like, how? How, though? He goes, well, he goes first he goes, um, well, I dealt with the abandonment stuff in counseling. And so let me just pause this message for a minute. And say, so you may have some stuff in your life and in your past, whether it's abandonment, trauma, psychological, or other. Or Otherwise, you might need therapy, and that's a good thing. You just need Jesus and therapy, okay? You need both and. You put them together, so it's a heavenly mixture, okay? Part of what God has given us is the psychology behind our minds and the people who can help us get untangled from that. So walk in both of those things. But then he said to me, he said that. He said, that helped a lot. I was able to process the stuff that, that went. And if this is you, this is your story. A couple people came to me after first service and said, this, this is my story. Um, the issue was never with the child in those moments. It's never the child's fault. So you can just be released from that. But he said, your mother and I decided, we decided that we were going to raise our family on Christian principles. And we decided what we were and were not going to allow in our house and in our family. We just, we just, made, we just made a choice. He said this, just some freebie nuggets of wisdom from my dad to you on a Sunday morning. He said, you see, it doesn't matter where you come from when you come to Christ. It matters where you're going. He said, and, and, and you come to learn that it doesn't matter who people say you are. It matters what God says you are. And I just want to tell you that when Joshua says, put away the gods of your father, set aside the things that used to define you, set aside the wicked ways in which you walked, this is what that looks like. It's breaking agreement with the identity that others have given you. It's pursuing reconciliation for those, against, uh, the, uh, for those who have offense against you in your life. It's not serving unhealthy thoughts and like just stewing with them and sitting with them and nurturing them and feeling bad about yourself because you have these, these bad thoughts. It's serving them notice that they're not welcome here anymore, and, and we're breaking from that. We're putting aside that which used to define us, that which used to haunt us, that which used to keep, keep us bound up, and we're going to walk in the newness of life with God our Father. Yeah. That's what putting away the gods of your father looks like. I said to my dad, but dad, you know, children of divorce, of broken homes, who have went through trauma and lack of identity like this, they have scar tissue, and they usually leave, they usually leave scars. 
And I want to teach this message. I told him the whole thing. I want, I want, to, I want to share this message called The House My Father Built. And I wanted to, to tell the story of biblical fathers, of how God builds for us and when we build for God, how then how they God returns that. And I wanted to honor you and use you as a model to show what it looks like to build well in the kingdom. And he said, well, that's the thing about God's house. It's big enough to fail in. He said, we, we were not... We were far from perfect, your mother and I. And if you don't think your parents are imperfect, become a parent. And you will find out just how imperfect you are. So certainly they weren't perfect. But he said, the house that God builds for you, he builds an umbrella of protection over you. He's watching over you and he's protecting you, not because you're perfect, but because he loves you. This is what it looks like to build for the kingdom. And so what have I inherited? We have as a family then redefined something that should have defined us. We should have been a broken home. My dad should have had all these issues that he poured out onto my mother and back or onto us as kids. He should have been absent as a father because he didn't know what to do because he never had an example. He should have been that, but he redefined that which should have defined him. When I say we need to put away the gods of our fathers, what I'm saying is all of us come from a broken place. Every single one of us have brokenness in our past. And just because we came from there doesn't mean we need to stay there. The scars of your past and the wounds and the hurt, your greatest failings and your shame, they don't have to define you. That which makes you feel less than or unlovable or, or worthless or whatever it is does not need to be your identity and your destiny because God gives us a new name. When we come into the family, he calls us sons. And if we are sons, then we are heirs. And we can cry out with the spirit of adoption, Abba, Father. You know, my last name, my biological last name, Paget. it's a Middle English name, and it means servant. Think of a page or a helper. It means servant. My old name was that of a servant. Your old name was that of a servant. You were, the Bible says you were a slave to your sin. You were dead in your trespasses. You were ensnared in the schemes of the enemy. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, has reconciled us to him. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. This is a gift that God has given to you. It's not a result of your work so that no man can boast. And in the process of salvation, he gives you a new identity and he calls you by a new name, a son or a daughter of his household. My name McGraw is a Scottish name and it means grace and prosperity. And it is the same name that God gives each and every one of you as you enter into his house. It's one of grace and of blessing and a favor where you're no longer a slave to sin, but you are alive in Christ and you can walk in the newness of your life, in the newness of an identity, in a new name that God the Father has given to you, his son and his daughter. This is the inheritance set aside for us when we put away and put aside the gods of our father. And it starts with a choice. It starts with a choice. Joshua's final words in verse 15. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day 
whom you will serve. There comes a point in our experience with God, our journey with Jesus, our walk of faith, whatever you call it, there comes a point where what we don't need is more information or another sermon or another answered prayer or a more radical emotional response in worship. It's not that we need something else. It's that we've come to a decision and we need to decide for ourselves what we are and what we are not, what we believe and what we don't believe. And you can float through life looking for one more answer to one more question and one more issue and one more thing and one more idea. And if you just had that answer, then I would decide. But the reality is it comes to a decision point. Do I believe all of this? And more specifically, do I believe Jesus? Do I believe what he says about himself? And when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me, do you believe that? Do you? That's an exclusive claim. It's not that, you know, North Americans get to the Father through Jesus. That means that there are many who do not find God because they do not put their trust in Jesus. And yet he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. When the Bible says that the wages of your sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, do you believe that? Do you believe that the wages of your sin, the penalty of your sin, the price of your sin is death, and yet God has given you a free gift of salvation? When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Like down in your core, not does it sound good, but do you believe it? Is it something you're willing to build your life on? Is it a truth that you're willing to walk in? Because at some point, you've got to take a step of faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. You're never going to have all the answers to every question. Our God is limitless. He's undefinable. But at some point, we need to choose this day. So much of our life comes down to the decisions that we make. And wouldn't it be good to make a good decision for once? You know, my dad thought he was reconciling with his father for his own benefit. He thought that as he stayed in touch with his dad, even after he moved to Florida and left the picture again, he didn't let that stop him. There was something God had wired in him to pursue. He thought he was doing it because he needed it. But the reality is that in pursuing his father, he was able to reshare the gospel with him. In pursuing his father, he was able to walk with him as he refound God again and recommitted his life to Christ again and got right with the Lord and repented of, of what had been. And because my father was whole in Christ, that the God was Lord of his life, which means he directed his heart in his hands, what he felt and what he did, and he submitted that to God the Father. When you build in obedience and faith, you create a dwelling place whereby others can enter and be healed. That's what Solomon did with the temple. This is what God does for us. The house that you build in the Lord, it might be the only healing and healthy place the people in your life ever enter. The house that you build for the Lord can contain the presence of God. And it might be the only place and only time the people in your life ever encounter the presence of God. 
because of the way that my parents built, my father with my mother's help and with the grace of God upon their lives, putting away what should have defined them and should have marked them and scarred them and quite frankly, what should have marked and scarred me. They were able to build something that led to the full and complete reconciliation of my father with his father. I mentioned my parents moved to New Bern, North Carolina about five or six years ago to retire. Two years after they moved to New Bern, North Carolina, his father, Al Padgett, and his wife, Ingrid, who is a lovely woman who I love and my wife loves and our boys love. She's amazing. They retired from their life in Florida because they wanted to be closer to family. And they moved to New Bern, North Carolina, walking distance from my dad's house. And every time, we could thank God for that. And every time we go down there to visit my parents, we get dinner with my grandfather and his wife, and we go to his house, and we talk golf and all of this stuff. And my boys love seeing them. They call them great-granddaddy Al and Ingrid, and it's, and, it's, and it's beautiful, and we catch up on lost time. It is the fruit of the result of walking according to the word of God. It is the fruit of the result of receiving the garden that you did not plant. It is the fruit of setting aside that which should have marked you and that should have defined you, that which you used to serve. It is the result of making a choice and choosing this day who you will serve. And I don't know about you, but as for me in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good God and you are a patient God and you are a faithful God. God, we thank you that you freely lavish us with gifts of grace and of mercy, things that we don't deserve, yet God, you are generous with them. You don't withhold them from us. Father, would you in this moment just complete the work that you're doing in the hearts and the minds of those who are being drawn near to you? Church, if you're in the room or if you're watching us online today and you want to choose today, this day, choose this day, who you will serve, what path you will take. If you're done wandering and if you're done waffling back and forth, in and out, I kind of believe I don't, and you're ready to choose today who you'll serve, would you just raise your hand in a declaration so I can see you? I see that hand. Praise God. I see that hand as well. I see that hand as well. If you're online, there's a, there's a button in the chat. It just says, raise my hand. Click that button and then click the button that pops up after. It says, connect with us. Because this is not just a one-time decision. It becomes an everyday choice that we make. It becomes a journey that we walk out and we don't ever go on a journey alone. If that's you, just pray this prayer with me. This is just you marking a covenant with God in this moment and making a declaration and a statement. You can use your own words or you can use mine. But pray like this. Father God, I'm sorry for walking in my own strength according to my own plan. I want to choose today to turn, to repent, and to follow you this day and every day. I declare Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I want to live in the house that you have built for me. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Hey, could we give a hand clap for those? If that's you and you're in the room, I know there's a handful of you. Please come down after service. Meet with me or our prayer team. We would love to pray with you, hear your story, and talk about what's next on your journey. And what's next is going to be a class called Discover Discipleship. I'm actually teaching it today at 4 p.m., so you can, you can jump on with me if you'd like. We'll just talk about the basis of a foundation of faith, how to build and how to walk and where to go from here. Amen?